0: Well, it's great to see uh, each and every one of you uh, here this morning. Um, my name's Andy. I especially want to welcome you if you're uh, newer or visiting Troy UMC today. I'm, I'm privileged to be the senior pastor here and, and, and if you are newer or, or visiting, uh, not just a special welcome, but you are uh, you've come like right in the middle of, of a series where we're wrestling with some of the tougher sayings of Jesus. And the following recounting from Scripture uh, would certainly qualify Uh, from the book of John, uh, chapter 8. Hear the word of God Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned Throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is a powerful story. And and I think this passage, this story of Jesus, I would venture that this proves uh, once and for all that Jesus was neither a conservative nor a liberal. (laughs) Jesus and the ways of God's kingdom stand far, far above our social and political uh, affiliations. And, and they rewrite the way that we see everything. And I think, honestly, in some ways, that's, that's what makes them so tough to follow. Because they, they blow up our categorizations and they demand something of each of us. They demand a heart reshaping, a heart change change. In each of us, You're taking a is it okay if I just jump right in um, I mean this, this passage is powerful i, I don 't want uh, 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 just, to just a taste. this is some of what I mean in this encounter We, we see that this woman 's sin um, and, and i see i think we 're supposed to see ourselves in her place at least in parts. I mean we can see ourselves in a few different parties in this story, but at least right now we see ourselves in her place and, and we see That her sin, and and therefore our sin, deserves judgment. And we know this because in this case, Jesus, he doesn't contradict the law of Moses here. The the Old Testament law uh, that these religious leaders were quoting. He he doesn't say, look, those laws are outdated. Certainly she doesn't deserve to be stoned, not for adultery, Neither does he suggest that their argument is undermined, despite their very obvious hypocrisy here that you and I can see when we look a little closer. Uh, anybody ever wonder where the guy is here? If she's caught in adultery, where's the dude? Like, what? Why is that? She's brought for condemnation. Where's he? If she's caught in the act, that means there's somebody else there. Why isn't that person brought forward too? Um, and, and so Jesus doesn't undermine their argument by saying, look, you're hypocrites, so I'm not even going to listen to this. Where, where, where's the guy? No, Jesus agrees that her sin deserves judgment when he essentially stands up and says, all right, you can stone her. However, we also see in this passage whose role it is to save or to condemn It's not those who have sin. And Jesus says, stone her, but let those without sin cast the first stone. Only Jesus has the right to condemn her because only Jesus is righteous. It is God's role to save or condemn, not ours. But then, of course, we see that Jesus doesn't condemn her. And I'll share more about that later. But then Jesus says something that I think we all wish that he wouldn't have said. Jesus said, go and sin no more. You know, there are a lot of things that I wish Jesus never said, but I really wish he never would have said that. Wouldn't it have been a, a lot easier if he just ended with, I don't condemn you? And wouldn't that have been easier? Or, or, or uh, maybe if, if he would have said, uh, uh, go on back to your old life. Oh, goodness, that that would have been so much easier. But no, he says, go and sin no more. And and that's where he stops. Personally, I wish he never said, go and sin no more. But since he did, I kind of wish that he would follow it up, maybe with a pause, uh, maybe by saying, and here's how you do it. You know, what? don't you wish Jesus would do, do that more often? said, okay, well, here's really how you follow me. Uh, we talked a little bit about that last week. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. But, but here, he just says, go and sin no more. No how-tos, no extra help. Uh, I think we understand go well enough. We all get go. We can go. Uh, but the sin no more part, that's a lot easier said than done. And if anything I've said today deserves an amen, that does. <laughs> uh, but even though Jesus didn't get practical here, uh, that doesn't mean that we can't. And so I, I want to... Um, to ask the question and try to answer it. What does it look like practically? To go and sin no more. Uh, how do we do it? Um, and, and I wanna make this uh, really relevant for you. Uh, I wanna invite you to take the blank piece of paper that you received when you came in today. Uh, hopefully you received that. If you didn't, uh, we can have um, an usher greeter uh, walk around with the blank sheet of paper, but but uh, raise your hand if you didn't receive one. Uh, but. Okay, yeah, just keep them up, keep them up, it's okay. Um, I'm gonna explain. Now, everybody look around, see whose hands are, are raised because once I say what to do with it and their hand goes like this. Uh, <laughs> no, here's, here's what you do with that blank piece of paper and I really want everybody to, to do this. Uh, um, when, when you hear Jesus speak the word, words, go and sin no more for you what comes to mind like what what do you hear jesus saying to you to go and not do anymore um I, I, just to be clear i I'm, i am talking about a sin of commission not a sin of omission so something bad that you're doing uh, or an attitude that you carry uh, not not something good that you ought to do that you're not doing so a sin of of commission um uh, what, what sin is causing harm to, to you or to your family, whether, whether you even know it or not? What, what sin is causing harm to your relationship with God? Name it. Write it down. You can hold it real close. I know it's kind of dark in here, so that's good. Hold it real close. Uh, you can fold it up real quick. Don't put your name on it. Um, uh, but uh, but hold, hold, put, it, put it tight there. As we get practical, I want you to think. I want you to dwell upon that. Make this personal today. Uh, now, I want to suggest that there are three resources that we all have available to us for combating the sin um, in our lives and turning away from it. Uh, but I, I would venture that most of us, most of us stop short of employing all three. Uh, oftentimes, and I just think this of, I, I, I feel it myself, but I, I think the best of everybody here, that when there's something like that in our lives, that we, we don't want that. You know, we, we want to turn from it. We, we don't want it to hold us in, in chains anymore. Uh, oftentimes we feel bad about our sin and we, we see how it wreaks havoc in our lives or maybe in the lives of others. And we sincerely want to change uh, for our own good because we know that God has something better for us. Um, uh, oftentimes when we're in that place, we start with the first resource. Um, and that first resource is ourself. We start by trying to make different choices. Um, This often begins by simply trying to stop whatever that sinful behavior or pattern or attitude uh, that you have. So you, you may try to stop overeating or try to stop yelling at your kids out of anger or you try to stop smoking weed or wasting precious time scrolling through Facebook and your phone or or gossiping or being defensive or having a critical spirit or or just being a plain old grouch uh, you may you may try to stop um, looking at pornography or or you may try to Uh, stop condemning those people over there who do those things that uh, you kind of, you want to stop that self-righteous behavior. Or maybe you you try to stop being so self-centered with your spending habits, feeling like, hey, I earned it, so I can spend it on whatever I want, my entertainment, my comfort, whatever I want. Uh, You you try to stop. But after trying, you may find that it's, it's, gosh, it's just darn difficult to stop whatever that destructive behavior is. So, so you get wise. And you, you begin to create boundaries around uh, yourself so that, so that you're not even tempted. You, you, you don't want to get up close to the cliff. You don't want to fall over the cliff, so you, you draw some boundaries to keep you away from the cliff so you don't succumb to the temptation um, in your life. So you may cancel Netflix so that you're not tempted to watch so much TV or, or you may cut up your credit cards so that you're not tempted to overspend, or you may avoid certain people because you know that you're not the kind of person that, that God has called you to be when you're around them, always complaining, and always finding just being negative or, or you, you might get be radical and get rid of your smartphone or your, your internet access. So your eyes don't wander to those places they shouldn't be. Uh, or you may decide, uh, to do nothing more than, than hold hands with your girlfriend or your boyfriend so that you're not tempted to, to get into a more compromising situation that you know it's going to be difficult to turn back from. You know, th- these are all practical steps that, that you can take in your life to, to kind of um, uh, protect yourself from giving in to uh, whatever that sinful habit or behavior or sinful habits and behaviors and attitudes are that that are part of your life. And these, these, friends, these are oftentimes very necessary steps to take. We all need to take them in some form or another in our fight against sin. But many of us stop there. You know, we, we, we keep the battle to ourselves because, well, quite honestly, that's the safest, uh, it doesn't require as much uh, kind of awkwardness. And, uh, and so it's most comfortable. Uh, the, the folks that are braver, however, take another step and employ the resource of others. Others to help in their fight against sin. This is one of the most beautiful aspects of, of Christian community. And we have others alongside us uh, to help encourage and support us in our pursuit of pure and holy living that, that glorifies God and really is, is evidence in our heart that, that, that we're full of gratitude for, for God saving us in the first place. Um, uh, so it, it might be as simple as asking a couple of friends or if you're married, your spouse to pray for you as you make these practical changes in your life. Uh, It may involve you openly confessing your sin to trusted people um, in your church family, maybe your journey group. Uh, In fact, this this used to be a vital part of the early Methodist groups. Uh, The the first question, you'll love this, is like the icebreaker question uh, for their groups, uh, their group meetings was simply this, uh, what known sins have you committed since our last meeting? How would you like being a part of that group? I mean, sign me up for that one. That's got to be fun. Uh, but this might be a great time to invite you to join a journey group uh, here at Troy UMC. Uh, don't worry. Our groups are maybe a little less formal, but sometimes maybe it's, we, we need it a little uh, more in your face like that. Uh, but sincerely, our, our groups do care about helping to support one another in our pursuit of holiness. It's in these groups that you find spiritual friends, and spiritual friends can be there to provide mutual accountability um, uh, or or be the the one that you turn to, that you call in the middle of the night when you're about to do something that you know later you're going to regret. But those of us who are serious about going and sinning no more, we we don't just try to make the changes ourselves, we invite others into the fight alongside of us. Uh, but once again, many of us stop there. In fact, these two resources that I've, I've just shared with you, um, th- there's really nothing overtly Christian about them or uniquely Christian about them. You could just as easily read this kind of advice in a self-help manual about how to change your attitudes and behaviors. Okay, speak Speak positively to yourself. Only be around those other people who speak those positive messages into your life. I mean, that's a self-help manual um, right there. And, and, and quite honestly, most people find that even with those two resources at their disposal, they still fall way, way short of living the life that they hope to lead. I mean, still, sin is still a constant co- and unwanted companion. It lurks behind every door. This is where the next resource comes in. And and I I hesitate even to say this is a resource. But but in our fight against sin, it it very much is a resource. And that is God. God. It is impossible to go and sin no more on your own strength or on leaning into the strength of others. You and I need God. Understatement of the year, right? Uh, I know. But uh, Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way, and I love the way he puts this. He says, to be convicted of sin is not just to feel bad. It it, it means to see that all along you have been working to trust yourself and develop your own righteousness. And friends, that's that's futile. It is only by the grace of God that we can live a pure and holy life. The the only righteousness that you and I will will ever see um, is not the righteousness that we create for ourselves, but the righteousness that Jesus offers us when we trust in his grace. Um, And and how do we experience and trust in his grace in our everyday lives? In response, I I turn to John Wesley, once again, um, the founder of the early Methodist movement. And in fact, we just talked about this in the confirmation class Uh, that I had the the privilege of leading uh, last week with our confirmands. And you might want to say a quick prayer for them. They're on their confirmation retreat today with Pastor Kurt, and uh, they'll be back later tonight. And this is kind of their culminating experience uh, before they prepare for taking vows of membership and and confirming their faith in Jesus before all of us uh, the Sunday after Easter in about a month. But, but last uh, weekend, I shared with them what John Wesley called the general rules for life. Uh, they, they were to do all the good that you can, uh, to avoid doing harm, to do no harm, and to practice the means of grace. Or uh, he actually put it, attend the ordinances of God. Uh, well, we access the righteousness of Christ and his grace in our everyday lives by, by practicing, by attending the ordinances Of God by practicing these means of grace uh, in our everyday lives, uh, which which are spiritual practices by which God fills us and reminds us and tunes us into His grace. They're practices like reading the scriptures and personal prayer as well as corporate prayer, uh, being in silence and solitude in order to hear the still small voice of God, uh, fasting. Uh, worshiping together, uh, being in community life with one another, like in a journey group, uh, and and participating in the sacraments. You see, our holiness, uh, our righteousness is not based on the good behavior that we offer God. Uh, Our righteousness can only be found in receiving the righteousness that Jesus offers us by grace. And we can access and remember that grace by putting ourselves in the right position to experience and receive and remember that grace in our lives through these spiritual practices um, that connect us to the heart of God. Um, I, I I was so encouraged just a couple of weeks ago. Um, I just really just a kind of a whim of God's spirit decided on Tuesday, Mardi Gras Tuesday, Fat Tuesday, to begin a a Lenten Bible study. Uh, just a, a Bible reading plan with folks in our church. And so I set it up on Facebook and I put it out there thinking, eh, maybe a couple dozen people will join in. And, and like 24 hours later, over 150 of you signed up and said, yes, uh, we want to practice this means of grace. We want to put ourselves in position to be transformed by the word of God. Those of you who didn't give up Facebook uh, for, for Lent. <laughs> um, and and I, I was just so encouraged by that, uh, realizing that that, we, we're real, realizing that we can't just change ourselves, that, that we need God and God's word to transform us. And, and God's word really can change us. Uh, maybe maybe uh, God wants to transform each of us today through this passage that we're studying today. Uh, maybe God wants to reshape the way we see ourselves or the way we see other people or even the way that we, we see God. Um, and I want to I take a, a look again and dive just a little bit deeper and, and, and let God transform us as we explore the very last verse in this passage. This is so important. In fact, uh, so that it sinks in, let's, let's read this together out loud. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is Jesus speaking, so give it a good emphasis. All right, do it one more time. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I want you to notice the order here. Jesus didn't say, go and sin no more, then I won't condemn you. Jesus withholds condemnation. In fact, I mean, literally in this case, he saves this woman's life. And then and only then does he give her the command to go and sin no more. You know, we Christians... We oftentimes, we get this backwards in our own lives and in and, and kind of our, our understanding as a church. Uh, so often we, we either tell or expect people to come and change their ways, to sin no more, and then they can be saved. Then they will have proven themselves as really wanting it and being worthy of God's grace. But Jesus uh, Jesus' way is exactly the opposite. You notice this, don't you? I mean, he says to the woman, he says, uh, he saves her, and then he calls her to a new way of life. And the order here is so extremely important, and it follows the order of things with God throughout all of the scriptures. Uh, case in point, uh, a big thing that, that you've probably heard about before, called the Exodus, uh, where God, uh, you know, called out Moses uh, to lead his uh, people, the Hebrew slaves, out of bondage in Egypt, and, and led them delivered them through from the Egyptians through the Red Sea, He saved them, and then and only then did God lead them to Mount Sinai, where he outlined the way of holy living through the Mosaic law, through the Old Testament law. Uh, God saved, delivered them first, and then called them and showed them what it means to truly follow Him. This order should tell us something about God. I think it should also tell us something about the nature of true and lasting change. You know, we don't have to earn God's love by our changed behavior. In fact, uh, I've found in my own life and in, in countless other people's lives, too, that our hearts and our behaviors are really only truly deeply, at a deep level, changed and transformed when we are loved for who we are and not what we do. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus loves you for who you are and not what you do or don't do. And then and only then is your heart just transformed and you begin to desire and want to live the life that he has called you to. But there's something else about these words of Jesus, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And uh, I think this, this is radical what Jesus says because it's, it's a different framework than what we usually put out there in our day and age, in our culture. Here are a couple of options that you're probably familiar with. Um, option one, you may hear, well, oh, neither do I condemn you because, well, what you did isn't that bad. You know, sexual ethics, that's a matter of personal choice. You have to find what's right for you and, and go, go do what's right for you. And that's how many, and I'm just going to put a, a label on this, uh, that's how many, uh, typically, those who would identify as more liberal folks would, would emphasize this. Uh, they, they emphasize God's, God's compassion and God's mercy, and so that's the typical response. Uh, uh, I don't condemn you because that, that doesn't, that's, that's not so significant. Um, on the other hand, typically more conservative folks who focus more on God's righteousness and justice, the justice of God, might respond this way. Well, what you did is sin. And, and you broke the law of God. You, you can't transgress God's law. God is perfect. There, therefore, you're condemned. Uh, for this heinous sexual act. So, so go. And when you go, you're, you're going to feel guilt. You're going to feel shame. And, and, and that's going to gonna have to change you. Uh, uh, until, and, and so don't come back until you've righted that ship. Because we can't be contaminated with that kind of behavior around us. Nope. Jesus doesn't do either one of those, does he? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, how is it that Jesus can say this? Because if, if God is God um, and, and, and sin deserves condemnation, which Jesus has already acknowledged, if sin deserves condemnation um, and, and if Jesus is God and is just, then he would either have to say one of two things. He would either have to say, neither I, do I condemn you because what you did isn't sin. Or... Uh, what you did is sin, so I condemn you. But how is it that Jesus can have his cake and eat it too and say, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more, acknowledging that her act was sinful, but withholding condemnation? How can, how can he hold those two mutually exclusive things uh, together when, when they, they can't be held together by anybody else? And here's how. Here's why. And it's the gospel message. I believe what Jesus is really saying to this this lady, and to all of us, uh, as we, we see and read between the lines, is my dear sister, you, you are guilty. You are guilty, but there, there's no condemnation here for you. I'm not going to throw a stone at you. In fact, I'm going to step in and take the stones that are directed, rightfully directed at you. I'm going to take the condemnation. I'm going to take the spear. I'm going to take the nails. I'm going to take the thorns. So that in my sight and in my Father's sight, you will be seen as holy and blameless. Back to us. You know, it is my hope uh, that, that each of us, that you will leave this place And go and sin no more. But let's be realistic. Um, You know you well enough to know that it's probably going to be more like go and sin some more. Uh, uh, All I can say as a pastor is simply this. um, Don't let the guilt that comes with that, the the struggle, the feeling of uncleanness, the feeling of I failed, uh, don't let that keep you from coming back to Jesus and his cross. Uh, I I believe that the more that each one of us grasps that that Jesus took our condemnation with no strings attached, without the condition that he'll take the stones if we then live up to a certain standard, the, the more you grasp that, that there were no strings attached. The more you grasp the gospel, the more freedom you will experience. And by God's grace, the love of Jesus will fill those empty places inside of you and me that that are the source of our rebellion and sin to begin with. And let me just say this. It really is my hope and prayer that this church, that, that each of us who makes up this church and that our church as a whole together, that we would be the kind of community that never leads with stones, that never leads with condemnation, but leads with like the, the wide open embrace of God, that we would embrace people, all people, regardless of, of what they what they look like, regardless of what their past is, uh, regardless of who they were caught sleeping with last night, regardless of, of anything that might tempt us to judge them as not worthy of God's mercy and grace. Because let's be real here. None of us is worthy. Not a one. Lord, would you, would you help Troy United Methodist Church walk that same difficult path That Jesus walked, balancing, neither do I condemn you, with go and sin no more. Now in a few moments, we're going to have a time of of offering. And um, as you prepare your financial gifts, I want to invite you to to also consider um, offering your sin back to God. You know, you folded it up real, real, real good. Um, um, it's dark. Nobody can see which piece of paper is yours. Consider putting that in the offering plate when it comes by. And, um, and, and, and let that symbolically represent your sincere desire to leave behind that which you desire to turn away from so that by God's grace, you can go and sin no more. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank, th- thank you for embracing us when truly we deserve condemnation. Thank you, Jesus, for taking the stones, for stepping in. As the song goes, uh, you interposed your precious blood. Thank you for stepping in and taking the stones that should be directed at us so that we can experience freedom that you offer to live a holy life, a life that honors you, a a living sacrifice of lived out of gratitude for your amazing grace. Even now, Lord, would you give us the courage and the strength to trust you, not with our good behavior, but with our brokenness, as we let go of that which is holding us back from experiencing the life that you created us for. And as we let go, Lord, help us hear your still, small voice whispering to us, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more.